Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Hi there, join us in today's Listener's Nutrition Clinic. We're going to be talking about what to eat before a fast 5K race, how Karen helped her client do some food planning for a 70K Ultra, and also are raisins or sultanas better for run fueling? Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalized sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. here with Karen as always. Uh, so today is actually our fourth um, episode of our listeners nutrition clinic and these episodes are dedicated to answering questions we re- we've received from you our listeners and the, typically the questions are linked to your nutrition for running performance and personal goals and we do schedule these episodes every few weeks so if you've got any questions that you'd like us to answer or discuss in this space please get in touch. We'd be happy to answer your questions and just drop us an email at hello at runnershealthhub.com and we'll share our insights and some tips which will hopefully support you um, in the the questions or the dilemmas you're facing uh, and also give everyone else some food for thought. So um, before we get on to outlining the questions that we're going to be discussing today, I'd just like to say welcome to our regular listeners. And if you are listening for the first time, a warm welcome to you. We really appreciate you joining us. We hope you enjoy this episode and we've got lots of uh, episodes in the back catalogue uh, for you to have a look at. And obviously, we're here every week and we'll share more with you in the future. So, Karen, uh, could I hand over to you to introduce the questions for today and uh, tell us who, who sent the questions in? Absolutely. So hi to you, Aileen, and hi, everybody. Um, so today's questions, we've got three, like Aileen said. The first one is, what should I eat prior to a fast 5K race? Now, this was sent in to us by Claire, who we know is a regular listener to the podcast and who's put many of our recommendations into place um, in the past to support her health and her running performance 
over the, the, the months and years that she's been following us. So thank you for that, Claire. The second question was put to us by Lisa, and it's a really interesting question, actually. She asks, what is the difference between raisins and sultanas? And which should I choose for my run training? So that will be an interesting one. I don't know if anybody's ever thought about the difference. And the final question, or or maybe it's a bit more of a discussion, is from a long-term client of mine, Laura, and she wanted some food and snack ideas and recommendations to eat during a 70K Ultra run that she was going to be embarking on. So, um, So, yeah, three quite different questions. Yeah, yeah, very different questions and scenarios, but all very interesting and intriguing. So thank you to Claire, Lisa and Laura for sharing the questions and and letting us discuss them and share uh, with everybody today. So let's start with Claire's question. So just to give everyone a little bit of background information, uh, we know Claire's an avid runner and she's very able and very fast. And she's also very disciplined with her training and aims to eat sufficiently to fuel her run training and her races. So just to uh, remind us of Claire's question, she was asking what should she eat prior to a fast 5k race? So um, just before we get into racing, I just thought it would be good just to um, sort of give us some context about what people generally would be doing with nutrition for a 5k training run. Um, So we would normally recommend that everyday healthy eating is enough. So you don't really need any extra nutritional requirements for a 5k training run, as long as you've got a balanced intake of complex carbohydrate, protein and vegetables um, as your sort of foundation. And we we usually uh, recommend that if you are uh, completing a 5k run in a fasted state, that this can encourage efficient utilization as uh, fat as fuel. And this efficient use of fat as fuel can then be very beneficial to you when you're completing longer runs because it helps preserve glycogen stores, so that stored uh, energy source. Um, and that's what is really needed towards the end of a, a long run. So, the, you know, there are some benefits if you're able to do your 5K training runs first first thing in the morning to do that in the, the fasted state. So with that in mind, Karen, uh, what would be your advice to Claire um, following on from what I've just said? Yeah, well, from what you've just said, Aileen, absolutely, it is so true. You know, really a fundamental everyday healthy eating plan would generally be sufficient for anybody running a 5K um, um, uh, training run at an average pace, really. However, Claire is actually going to be racing and um, and she's going to be um, competing at a fast pace. And she is a fast runner, as we know from um, historically. So really, that approach just isn't going to be enough. You know that she's going to need more and she's going to need some nutrition before before this race, not going into it in a fasted state. Now, Claire hasn't really said um, what time of the day her race is, but but they do tend to be early in the morning. I don't know of any 5K races, actually, that um, happen later in the day, but maybe there are some out there. So, but, but, but just 
bearing in mind that it is generally um, in the morning, we do need to consider that she will be doing that following an overnight fast. So, you know, it, it just as, as, as a reminder to people that whilst we are asleep, we are essentially fasting. We're not eating. So it's quite a, a period of time um, where we're fasting. Therefore, um, that that um, overnight fast can deplete glycogen stores, especially liver glycogen stores. So um, it's worth remembering that the liver is really active during the night. That is when a great deal of the detoxification, detoxifying processes are actually occurring. So with glycogen stores potentially being depleted, it would be important for Claire to eat before the race. This would be really important, and especially as it is a fast a fast event for her as well. So that would be my first point to make there, really, Aileen. Yeah, and I like the the way that you've reminded us all that you know we we potentially are a little bit depleted uh, overnight just from sleeping. Uh, so the other thing that I think is important to factor in is what Claire is doing before the start of the race. So we don't know um, where Claire lives for, in relationship to the race start line. Um, you know, she might live very close or she might be having to travel. And the amount of time lapsing between getting up and starting the race would really determine how much and what type of foods to eat. So I think it would be helpful. We looked at two different scenarios just so that um, it gives a couple of different options for Claire and for anybody else who's thinking about this. So if the race um, is taking place some distance away from home, so you need to include some travel time, we need to think about a pre-race food plan. But if the race is close to home, so say 10 minutes away from where Claire lives so that she can walk there easily and quickly, um, and be there sort of ready at the start line within an hour, then that might also give us some different sort of nutrition advice. So, Karen, thinking about those different options and scenarios, what would be your recommendations? And, and particularly thinking about the timing of food for both of these different scenarios. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I think that's a really good point. You know, it could be either way. So let's have a look at um, the scenario where Claire lives a distance away. Um, and if she does, then it is quite possible that there's going to be at least two hours between her getting up and being at the start. And even then, when she gets to the, the, the race event, she might probably quite possibly be hanging around for, for a bit before the race begins. So with this scenario, I think it would be really important for Claire to have a balanced breakfast. So balanced, including protein and carbs and some vegetables in there as well. But what I would say is not to have too large an amount because for a short and fast race, sort of eating too much might lead to a stitch occurring or maybe some digestive symptoms um, becoming an issue. So I would suggest um, eating enough to feel satisfied, but not to feel um, really full. So that, that would be the situation there if there's over two hours um, for her to hang around. Okay, so I'm thinking that maybe a smoothie could potentially be a good choice for Claire because you know, they tend to be easy to digest, but they can still be really nutrient dense. Um, so maybe having a smoothie containing some oats, a protein powder, um, 
some milk, maybe a milk alternative like um, oats or almond or coconut and some um, strawberries or raspberries or blueberries, something sort of in that uh, berry range, I think would probably be a good, good idea. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really great um, suggestion. Um, alternatively, if um, if Claire wanted to eat rather than drink, I think a small amount of um, overnight oats or porridge, but adding in some nuts and seeds or maybe nut or seed butter could be a good choice as well. Or potentially having um, a poached egg or some scrambled eggs on a slice of brown toast and she could have that with some mushrooms or spinach or something like that just to keep it balanced. Brilliant. So that's us got your breakfast sorted, Claire, if you're listening. And um, so now that we've, you know, you've eaten breakfast, traveling to the, the race, is there anything that Claire needs to think about eating before the start of the race, Karen, or would that be enough? Yeah, well, I think due to the fact that there is some travel time and it could be substantial, we just don't know um, with this scenario, but but it could be. I would definitely recommend that Claire takes a light, quick-release carbohydrate snack with her and she could have that approximately 30 to 60 minutes before she actually starts running. Now, again, it doesn't need to be a large amount of food, but just enough to top up the blood glucose levels before entering into the race. And I'm thinking here of foods such as medjool dates, as we um, as we often speak about alien, and maybe just having one um, or a small packet of raisins. I think the small packets usually come in about 28 gram sizes or maybe half to to a whole banana really depending on on the size because they do come in a variety of sizes and also these all of these um snacks quick release snacks are portable as well so you know another reason why i've suggested them be easy for claire to carry them with her Great, Karen. So that's some really good recommendations for Claire there, um, especially if you've got a distance to travel to your race. However, if if the race is somewhere that um, is close to where you live and you don't have so much time between rising and racing, then it's still important to um, to think about what you're going to eat, but your food choices are probably going to be very different. So um, I think still a smoothie could be a good option because it's in liquid form and it doesn't have to be like a pint of smoothie. It could be, you know, a smaller glass of smoothie. Um, they're usually easy to digest and absorb. And I think that would re- reduce the risk of any digestive distress occurring during the race. Um, and it would also help deliver glucose to the blood fairly rapidly. Um I think the difference with this smoothie in, in this sort of scenario of, of being close to the, the race time is that you would want to uh, keep it fruit heavy and protein and fiber low because the protein and fiber would slow the digestion and absorption. And that's not really what you want at this stage. So you want to have it going through the digestive system quickly so fruits that you might want to include might be a banana a mango papaya so the tropical fruits that because they're essentially really rich in natural sugars uh, and you could blend this maybe with some coconut um, water or milk or maybe some yogurt um, so it would be a lighter fruitier smoothie I think that's what I'm trying to describe here Karen. 
Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. And I totally agree. I think that would be really the best choice for Claire. And, and I like the idea, again, of the smoothie because it's easy on the digestive system. But again, if Claire does prefer to eat her nutrients rather than drink them, which is is the way I am, I much prefer to eat my food than drink my food, then um, having, again, a banana or on a slice of, of white bread toasted, uh, maybe with some honey or maple syrup could be an alternative. So it's still keeping it quick release, but it's actually in a in a in a food um version rather than a drink version. So so Claire, we we hope that this has um helped answer your question sufficiently and that you now feel that you have some ideas of foods to consider eating when you do do your 5k race. Do let us know how you get on with that and what you do do regarding um, your nutrition. And for everybody else, hopefully it's given you some information that will help you to make the correct food choices for your 5k runs. Um, if you need it, it, like Aileen said at the beginning, it depends how fast you're running your 5K. If it's an easy 5K, then fasted state's going to be absolutely fine. So, um, so, so it just depends on your personal situation and circumstances. Great, thanks, uh, Karen, and, and thanks again to Claire for sending through your question. And uh, maybe I know Claire sometimes does a park run, so it might be the kind of thing you could practice. Uh, before your park runs and then you you know that it's going to work for you on race day so now let's move on to uh, Lisa's question uh, which to remind you was what's the difference between raisins and sultanas and which should I choose for my run training and what prompted this question by Lisa was that she'd been listening to one of our episodes and we mentioned having raisins as a snack during a long run and um Lisa had actually been having sultanas and she was unsure of what the difference was. And one would, would one be better than the other for a training? So it's quite an interesting question because I don't think uh, it's one that any of us really consider. We tend to think about all dried vine fruits as being the same. And, um, you know, they're, they're not actually. So we, we did uh, do a little bit of reading around it. And we've got a few factoids to share with you regarding uh, these different dried vine fruits. So, um I'm just going to share a few of them with you now. So actually, raisins, sultanas and currants um, are the dehydrated or the dried versions of different types of grapes. And, and I guess everybody would know that. Um, but in different countries, um, raisins are different things. So in the in the US, the term raisin is actually applied to both raisins and sultanas. But to distinguish the two, sultanas are referred to as golden raisins so that's what how you would uh, recognize the difference there and internationally and in fact in most countries including in the UK raisins and sultanas are differentiated by the type of grape and also the processing methods used so in the UK the the raisins are sort of very small and dark and the sultanas are the more larger plumper golden uh, fruits. Mm. Yeah, and the most common grapes that are, are used include for raisins, there's the muscat, the malaga, the manuka, and the flame, as well as the Thompson seedless. Now, the Thompson seedless apparently is the most common um, of the raisins that are used in the US. Now, some of those I've heard of, others I've never heard of. Apparently, the manuka raisin is is one or grape is one that um 
is used a lot in the Middle East. Um, and then thinking about sultanas, this kind of makes sense. Again, the most common one is the Thompson seedless. And because in the US they are the same thing, it, it makes sense that it's it's from the same um, grape. And then currants come from um, a grape that's known as Zante currant, hence the name. So, um so I thought that was quite interesting, actually. And then regarding the processing, raisins and currants, they both go through a natural process. Usually they're sun dried for about three weeks. And um, and that sort of leads to the grapes dark colour because they get darker and darker, the drier they become, the longer they've been in the sun. Um, and um and uh, yeah, so that's why they are so deep. In fact, some of them look almost black, especially uh, currants. And then sultanas, they're typically coated in an oil-based solution prior to drying. And that is done to speed up the drying process. Um, and it's it's this coating and fast drying process that apparently gives sultanas their lighter colour than the raisins and the currants. And I suppose that makes sense again when, you know, when you know that it's the drying, natural drying process that causes them to, to go dark in colour. So if they're not getting that opportunity uh, and they're not out in the sunshine for so long, then they're going to be lighter in colour. So, um, so interesting factoids there for you all. Yeah, but interestingly, you can actually purchase um, natural sultanas um, that um, haven't gone through that um, drying solution. And they tend to be an Australian variety rather than the American variety. Um, the Australians um, make or produce their sultanas without using that drying solution. And the grapes are dried nat more naturally in a similar way to raisins. Um, so they tend to be a little bit darker than the other golden sultanas. So again, that might be something people notice when they're shopping. Um, but if you are buying the Australian sultanas, you do need to be quite discerning because not all of them are natural sultanas. So there are some brands that contain oil coating. Um, so you need to check the labels really um, to know what you're buying. And, and also with the golden raisins from the States, uh, the grapes are treated with a preservative called sulfur dioxide, and that helps retain the lighter colour of the grape. So that's similar to dried apricots. You, you can sometimes see that on the label as well. So the naturally dried ones are very deep in colour and have a more caramel-like um, caramel -like flavour. And the ones which are preserved are using the sulphur dioxide. So when you go shopping, you sometimes see really dark dried apricots and then you see these bright orange ones. Um, so that, that's the difference between them. Yeah, absolutely. So go for those dark caramel caramel ones. I have to say, I love them. They're just so chewy and they've just got that really lovely sweet flavour. But anyway, lots of factoids for you regarding the differences between these dried fighting fruits and hopefully answers your question effectively, Lisa. Now, the other part of your question was, which should you use for your own training? Now, I think the short answer to that one is raisins or potentially the currants, because both of them go through that natural drying, dehydrating process. There are no solutions um, used at all uh, to quicken the process. 
Now, dried vine fruits do make an excellent quick-release carbohydrate snack, and they're also really portable. So you are making a great choice, Lisa. Um, but reg- And also regarding the sugar content, that natural sugar, which is great for energy, um, there isn't a great deal of difference between the, the, the raisin sultanas and currants. So, for example... Say for one of those small packets, the 28 gram packets of of um, raisins or sultanas or whatever it may be, there's 22 grams of um, sugar in raisins, 22 in sultanas and 21 in currants. Now, it, it would appear that the sugar content does vary depending on where you get your information, because I know, Aileen, that you have checked um, the nutrient content of raisins versus sultanas, and your source suggested something different. They were suggesting that 25 grams of raisins contained 19.4 grams of natural sugar, which is fair enough, that's three grams less, but it it was a difference um, with sultanas where it contained only 18 grams of sugars. So whereas with the source I used, it was they had the same amount of, um, of sugar. So it does depend where you get your data. Yeah, well, it's the same with everything really, isn't it? I think any kind of data you have to sort of um, have some perspective on because it's not always absolutely perfect is it and I suppose you know with natural foods like grape varieties they come in all shapes and sizes and so so the the dried varieties are, are just the same they're all slightly different and that could make a difference to the sugar content depending on who tested it and when they tested it um, but you know I think it gives you a you know a general guideline um, that you do get some natural sugars and roughly how much you should eat to get the amount that you're looking for um yeah. so uh yeah I think that's a good point yeah uh, yeah absolutely and I think that's a fair point you know it will depend on the variety of the grape to how much sugar there is within that so our sources could have been um evaluating different grape varieties but what I would also just add here is that um is that medjool dates, as we mentioned when we were speaking about Claire's question, they're, they're another great source of quick release carbs in the form of natural sugar. So in one date, there is 18 grams of, of sugar. And again, they're another easy um, food to carry and eat on the run. You just need to sort of wrap them up um, individually, I would suggest, in a, in a little bit of parchment paper and then pop them in a running belt or in your camelback pouch or something like that. So, Lisa, that's a potential alternative to sultanas or or raisins, and um, and again, thinking about the the natural aspect of it, medjool dates are completely natural. So. So, Lisa, in answer to your question, really, I think it would be an easy move from sultanas to raisins um, because that really there's very little difference in the sugar content. But by moving to raisins, you will potentially be making that healthier and more natural choice. Um, Although I have to say it is always wise to check the labels, even of the raisins, uh, just to ensure that no oils have been added to them potentially after the processing. um um 
it has happened because again things can be added afterwards or maybe you could try the medjool dates as an alternative but anyway hopefully everyone has been able to pick up some tips and knowledge um from lisa's original question so alien I think just before we move on, shall we just take a, a short advert break and I'll hand back to you to, to introduce that. Yes, of course, Karen. So this is the part of the episode where Karen and I take a minute to talk to you about what we do outside of the podcast. And today we thought we'd like to share with you our one-to-one personalised nutrition services, because although the information that we, we've given today and we give in all of our episodes in answer to questions is mostly generic advice and recommendations. And, uh, you know, particularly with the listeners' questions, we've limited information at our disposal about what's going on in your life and what your circumstances are. Um, So if you do feel that you need more uh, detailed uh, support, we've got um, a few different um, nutritional packages that might be more suitable for you. And it's a a personalised service is really for you if you want something that's a bit more focused, a little bit more um, directed to your personal requirements and to help you achieve both your health and your running goals. So um, we've got three plans to choose from. And if you're interested in finding out more, go to our website, runnershealthhub.com, click on the work with us page, and the drop down menu, you'll find one-to-one personalized nutrition. And you can read a bit more about the different packages that are available for you. Um, but the first step really is if you are interested is to book a complimentary call with us so that we can find out more about your goals and we can suggest the best way of working with us to get the results that you desire. And um, the call um, booking link is on the Work With Us page too. So um, we hope to hear from you. Great. Thanks, Aileen. So now let's move on and discuss the third and final question, which was from Laura. And she asks, what food and snacks should I eat during my forthcoming 70k ultra run? I'm in awe of you, Laura, doing a 70k ultra run. But just to give you a, a little bit of background, um, like I said at the beginning, Laura is a long term client of mine. And I have to say, Laura's come a long way regarding both her nutrition aren't a running performance since she first came to see me she's done a lot of a lot of work she's put a lot of dedication into um, her nutrition and her training now Laura loves her distance running and each time we speak she has another ultra in her diary and each one tends to be further than the previous one so that's why she's now up to 70k and growing I think anyway She recently came to me with the question of what to eat during this forthcoming 70K. So I really just wanted to share with you our approach to her nutrition, what happened on the day, and then what she learned from that event and her experience on the day. Now, clearly over time, because we've been working together for quite a while, Laura has tried lots of different foods and snacks and bars and gels and everything during her training, some of which have worked and others which have been a disaster and led to digestive symptoms and nausea and other symptoms as well. And I'm sure that lots of people can relate to this, and I certainly can. It is trial and error, and that's why we always emphasise to trial and training. 
Um, but even though Laura, you know, has been working for me, working with me for a long time, and she's tried lots of foods, she still just wanted some advice on what and when to eat during the event. I think sometimes you just need someone to tell you what to do, um, just to take the thinking out of the equation, so that you can just concentrate um, on your running. Now, Laura knew that she wanted to mix up real food with um, Morton bars and gels. I don't know if anybody's heard or uses the Morton gels and bars. Now, Laura had trialed various bars, like I say, in training, and this brand was her preference. So um, we went with it. Might not be my first choice, but they were working for Laura. So we went with that. So what we agreed was that she would have her regular breakfast in the morning. And then she would have a third of a Morton bar roughly 30 minutes before she began the race. Now, Laura also had a rough idea of how long the event would take her to complete. So she was thinking it would take her around 10 hours. And she decided that she wanted to eat roughly every hour as she was as she was doing the, the event. So it's just an outline of the scenario. Oh, well, thanks. That's really interesting to know all about Laura's background. And uh, one of the things that um, is coming to my mind, uh, Karen, is the way that you worked with Laura. Um, you, you negotiated her nutrition approach rather than you telling her what to eat and when. And, and I think that's really important um, because as nutritional therapists, we really want to collaborate with our clients and empower them to make the decisions because if they make the decisions they're more likely to engage with the plan. But I also like the idea that sometimes it's just good to lean in and let somebody give you direction because I, I like that too. I, I think sometimes there's a lot going on and, and it just takes away the burden if somebody else can say, no, this is this is the best way forward. Yeah, it, it is about finding that balance, isn't it, of, of, of empowering the client, but at the same time, helping them make the decision so that it's the right decisions for them. And, you know, I, I think I was there to support Laura and to guide Laura. But at the end of the day, she was deciding what to eat and when, um, you know, she was she she tended to stay in the driving seat. I might put things forward to Laura and she'd say, no, I've tried that. That doesn't work. No, I don't think that'll work later on in the in the uh, in the race when she starts to feel tired, um, because as we know, our digestive systems change later in the race so she was I was supporting I was recommending but she was she was uh she was definitely in the driving seat when making the decisions okay so what uh what did you both decide uh what was her nutrition approach for the event well um as I said Laura wanted to eat approximately every hour so her strategy ended up being her first snack would be uh so she'd make up a big um, white bread jam sandwich. She just she wanted to have jam. She liked the text. She tried them before and she just loved the idea. And she looked forward to having her jam sandwiches as she was running. So we decided that she would, for a first snack, she would have a quarter of a white bread jam sandwich. And then her next snack would then be a Morton gel. Then she would go back and have another snack because she really wanted, like I said, to combine this real food along with the bars and gels. So she would go back to a jam sandwich. Then she would have some more Morton bars, um, another sandwich. And then she moved on to the Morton gel. So she was getting 
closer to the end of the race um, by this time. And um, she, so the gels she liked um, because she chose the ones with caffeine in it. So she, she just found that that really gave her that energy boost towards the end of the race. And that, that again, she trialed in training and found had made a big difference. And then um, she would then go back to the, bread the jam sandwich and her last sort of snack depending on how she was feeling and um, she thought she would maybe enjoy uh, more of a chocolate spread sandwich rather than the jam sandwich just something that was a bit different and again um, having another uh, morton gel with with caffeine if she felt she needed it it she did she did sort of pay attention to her energy levels and how she was feeling and make that decision whether she had caffeine or not non-caffeine. Now, I have to say, considering the distance she was going and the length of time it was going to take her, it doesn't sound like very much food, but it's what worked for Laura and it's what she practiced with. And she did carry extra snacks with her as well, um, just in case. So she had dried mango, which she did eat actually, and she enjoyed it. But what she, so we had set all this out together. But what Laura also did on the day in the moment was to have one of the drinks that was provided at the official stations. And after that, she started to feel really nauseous and thought she was going to be sick. She she said it was a, a really horrible experience um, and it lasted quite a while. It did eventually subside, but it did last for quite a while. And, and in fact, she said that all the food provided was actually of a, of a really poor quality on this particular event. So she was really pleased that she had sort of self-catered for the for the most part of, of the race. So, so yeah, I think that's the interesting insight as well. I mean, it's horrible that she, um, you know, she felt unwell. And I think that, again, is a... It's a learning point, isn't it, to um, stick to the plan. And, and also, if, you, if you're doing your own food, you're in control and you're not waiting for somebody else to provide something. So, uh, yeah, useful learning points, I think, for everybody there. But, Karen, after the events, what did Laura share with you regarding the nutrition that she'd taken on board and how it made her feel overall? Yeah, well, she did write to me afterwards saying that she felt overall her nutrition was good and worked for her, except for when she consumed the food from the station en route. She said that she really enjoyed the dried mango and looked forward to having some more when it was eating time. And um, and she found that the gels were really supportive, especially the ones containing caffeine. It made her feel really good um, when she was just starting to tire towards the end. Now, Laura is Spanish and so she really loves her coffee. So this gel with the caffeine in it, it was just right for her. It just made her feel really good because it was giving her that caffeine experience. Great. And so um, it just sounds as though overall, Laura had a pretty positive experience, apart from that nausea uh, incident in, in the middle of the race. Um, so regarding, um, you know, going forwards, did she feel that she'd learned anything that she would amend? Um, so either add or remove in her next ultra event? 
Yes, she did. She did do really well, Aileen, um, in that ultra overall regarding her nutrition and her performance. Actually, she finished in nine hours forty two. So it was actually um, it was. Um, quicker than she'd expected to do and was actually her best time of any um, sort of uh, distance uh, looking up pace. Um, and this was despite, you know, running further than she uh, was supposed to because she got lost at one point. And also she had just recovered from illness, but that's something else. But she had come back from illness. And also she'd had she'd had that um, horrible experience during the event. So it was a really great achievement. But on saying that, Laura didn't actually enjoy a lot of aspects of this race and, and, and wouldn't do that particular event again. And I think that was one of the learnings for her you know she she said that she now needs to do her homework regarding the route um the the organizer and food available on the route as well and really thinking about cherry picking she used the words cherry picking her events in the future and not just going for anything that's out there on the web um, and i think the other major learning for her was that it's just really important to self-cater. And unless she knows the products that are available at the official stations and she's trialled them in training, then she needs to avoid them. So those were the two key things that she picked up from, from that experience. Well, I think that's pretty good advice for anybody considering any endurance event, you know, anything from a half marathon to a marathon or beyond is do your homework and practice, practice, practice your nutrition strategy in training. So it's really great that Laura's shared that with everybody today. Um, so Karen, I think on that note, it's time for us to round up today's conversation. Um, but before we go, would you give us the key takeaways from this episode? Yeah, sure, Aileen. So um, firstly, and this is thinking about the first question we got, um, running in, in a, running a 5K in the fasted state would generally be okay for anyone that's running it at an easy pace. But if the 5K is to be raced, so this is running it at speed, then definitely eating before the event would be um, our recommendations and eating enough to feel satisfied satisfied but not really full as this could potentially lead to a stitch or digestive symptoms occurring during the race and then thinking about the second question that we had um you know dry divine fruits so that's the raisins the sultanas and the currants that we spoke about are an excellent source of quick release carbs with a small box 28 grams containing approximately 22 of natural sugars so a really good idea and source for um for taking on a long run with you but if choosing any of the dried fruit divine fruits as an energy source just remember that the raisins and currants um, go through the natural drying dehydrating process however the sultanas are typically coated in an oil-based solution prior to drying to speed up the process so choose wisely is what I would say there 
And then when completing an endurance event from half marathon to ultra distance and beyond, it is really important to practice, practice, practice your nutrition strategy during training and not deviate from it when you're in, in the event. And I would just end on, if in doubt, don't. So in other words, be nutritionally self-sufficient during any endurance event and don't have any of the foods from the official stations unless you have done your homework and you find out what is available and you've trialed those foods um, or bars or whatever it may be beforehand in your training. And that would be it, Aileen. Well, I think that's some great advice to end on, Karen. So thanks again. And thanks again to Claire, Lisa and Laura for your great questions today. Uh, we hope everybody listening has benefited in some way from the information uh, that they've shared with us and that, and that we've discussed. And remember, remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases. Mm -hmm.